time for the podcast. We're here. We're spooky. It is the Get second it. <laughs> week of Spooktober time. And today we're talking about, uh, it's crime culture, by the way. This, that's Caitlin. I'm Haley. And we are talking about the history of Halloween costumes today. And before we even get really into it, I want everyone to send us their favorite uh, costume, uh, either from childhood, one you created yourself, a couple's costume, a group costume. I need to see all of the amazing costumes because costumes is kind of one of my favorite parts of Halloween. If I'm going to be honest. It's the Yeah, no, I agree. It's like the best part. Like, don't get me wrong. I love candy candy's great but like costumes is something that evolves with you as you get older because you are like the little kid stuff and then you're the slutty stuff and then you're like the funny group stuff and then you're like the i don't care i'm just wearing a t-shirt that says this is my costume stuff yeah (laughs) and then once you have kids you get to like be a cup like a group costume with your kids and like that sounds fun yeah what's the point of having kids otherwise make them be your costume exactly yeah exactly um but yeah start us off (laughs) start us off where do we begin with halloween costumes so we're gonna talk a little bit about the history of halloween costumes as the title would indicate so we gotta take it back we gotta take it all take it back now y'all take it back now y'all um one hop this time so the history of wearing halloween costumes as we celebrate it in America is actually believed to be deeply rooted in medieval Celtic tradition, specifically mm-hmm. Sawen. And the Celtic day of the dead festival was celebrated, which is Sawen, um, was celebrated throughout Europe in ancient times. And still today is celebrated in Northern France, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and other regions where the Celtic heritage has been preserved. So the Celts used a lunar calendar and divided the year into two seasons. Winter, which was the season of death, which began on Samhain, um, which roughly, fun fact, translates as summer's end. Mm -hmm. Um, And that fell on the full moon closest to November 1st after the harvest was finished. I think we talked a little bit more about Samhain last Spooktober when we talked about the history of Halloween itself. So more on that. More on that last year. Go back to it. Sure. <laughs> I, it's, I, it's been a whole year. We've got two episodes a month in October. I don't remember what we talk about. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so the Celts believed during this time that the souls of those who had died were extremely restless and that the veil between the living and the dead was thinner. So spirits could walk the earth. They could visit the living. And so this festival would honor those souls and kick off the new year. So the first historical instance of costuming in relation to what we now know as Halloween was the Samhain tradition of people dressing up in costumes and sharing treats and food with wandering spirits under the belief that those who weren't in costume would be possessed by those spirits. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, fair trade. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And according to History.com, quote, in addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids, or Celtic priests, to make predictions about the future. For a people entirely dependent on the volatile natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort during the long, dark winter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like Groundhog Day, too. Throw that in there as well. Why not? Um, and furthermore, American author and Halloween expert and Connecticut lady like myself. I wish, li- I wish 
Halloween expert was on my resume. I know, right? <laughs> no, this 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 woman is a is an icon. Her name's Leslie Banatine, and she is like the go-to person this time of year for any questions. And she said that people would opt for more serious and scary costumes back way back in the day. I don't think I can say that anymore. Um, way back in the day, so that wandering spirits would mistake them for one of their own and leave them alone. Yeah, but that just equates to being like dressing like devils and those like horrifying masks of like the early like 40s. When you see those like black and white photos of children that look like they're about to like like murder you as a group. <laughs> you mean children? Yes. <laughs> like there wasn't like you weren't going to be Spider-Man on Halloween. You were going to be like a fucking devil. You were going to be a spider. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be a devil or like some like pre-zombie type thing that like you just look dead. Right. These exactly. are horrifying masks that they made. Yes. Um but she told CNN, quote, hiding behind their costumes came to be seen as means to get away with things. That's continued throughout Halloween's evolution, end quote. Um, so then people would disguise themselves in feathers and furs so as not to be recognized by the spirits wandering the earth that night. Um, and this custom of dressing up was known as guising. Mm. And basically people would go from house to house and perform short skits or sing or dance or whatever the wherever they felt like performing, however they felt like performing. Kind of like in, Halloween caroling. Yes. Yes. Very much like Halloween caroling. Um, and it, especially because like, like, I mean, if you, you know, if you, if Halloween involved wearing like animal skins and <laughs> straw and shit like you mean that, Christmas. I guess. Um, yes. Think Christmas, but still keeping it spooky. Um, and, and that's another thing. The the When these kids would dress up in these costumes, they were called Skecklers. Ooh, I hate that. Yep. <laughs> Don't yep, like that yep, at all. Yep. Um, but so it, it is, though. Like, it's it's essentially like performing tricks for treats. Mm-hmm. Like, that, as opposed to trick it's, or yeah. treat. Instead of, like, even, they don't even say trick or treat anymore. They just come to your door and, like, open a bag. And it's just like, uh. Give. Yeah, give. <laughs> Don't say anything. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but yeah, so by the 1500s, mumming was also something that became popular. And that refers to mummer's plays, which have characters that wear costumes and masks. And there's usually some kind of a battle and a resurrection of a deceased character. I'm punching my keyboard as I say this. Because <laughs> um, it, it's just, it's it, it's got that kind of spookiness to it as well. Like not just with the costuming, but we're talking about the spirits coming back and this is mummer's plays were about like the dead coming back yeah, yeah. like to life not as spirits but you know petition to bring this back huh Pre- petition to bring this back like yeah you might be alone there bud fucking um, perform a play for me before i give you candy <laughs> but it was it was largely guising um that would and also i gotta take that back no because don't put that call to action out there because then you know what's going to happen. You're going to have a bunch of theater kids like we were on your fucking doorstep. Bless. I wish and, I had done and- that. <laughs> but yeah. So it was guising, though, that continued to see popularity, especially by the 17th century. Um, and these these guising rituals provided some of the framework for Victorian Halloween traditions. Um, and... It it just it was seen as good 
fortune mm-hmm. because if somebody could impersonate a supernatural being, it would ensure that they could not be seen by the spirits. Mm-hmm. However, in recent years, there's been some dissent and not the like the cute RBG dissent about the origins of Halloween in particular because so little is actually known about Soen. Okay. Um, in his 2008 novel, The English Year, Steve Roud called it, quote, the most widely misunderstood and misrepresented day in the festival year, end quote. Oh. Saying that because, quote, so many now believe that it was originally a pagan festival of the dead, that this belief is virtually impossible to shake. The facts, however, are very different and far more elusive and complex, end quote. He wrote in his book, quote, Halloween means the evil, the, the eve, oh, excuse me, Freudian slip. <laughs> Halloween means the eve of Hallowtide, the first and second of November, which was indeed designated as a time to commemorate the dead, but it was a Christian festival inaugurated in the medieval period. There is no evidence that this time of year was celebrated in England before the Christian feast was created. In Ireland, November 1st was Samhain, the beginning of the winter and the end of the year, and as such, it was an important day of gathering and feasting, but not, it seems, of much religious or supernatural significance. Nor is there any evidence of the supernatural at Halloween in early Welsh or Scottish material, except where Irish influence was strong. The modern Halloween developed from two closely linked Christian festivals of All Saints, November 1st, and All Souls, November 2nd, Mm -hmm. which were both concerned in their way with the dead. End quote. So some so people are now arguing that like, I don't know about you, but I grew up, obviously, I was raised in Catholic school. They were always like Halloween's a pagan holiday. Halloween's a pagan holiday. Yeah, yeah. Historians are now starting to argue that the origins of Halloween were mostly Christian rather than pagan. Well, Christians um, ultimately take over everything. As I mean, yeah. yeah. And I mean, they've started some shit. At least Halloween is a good thing that they've started. Yeah. Um crusades anybody Mm. and similar to um pardon me to Roud, uh historian beth allison barr pointed to nicholas rogers's 2002 novel halloween from pagan ritual to party night in citing that it was actually a christian holiday originally christian Uh um and in this book, he says, quote, if Sem- if Sawen imparted to Halloween a supernatural charge and an intrinsic liminality, it did not offer much in the way of actual ritual practices, save in its fire rites. Most of these developed in conjunction with the medieval holy days of All Souls and All Saints Day, end quote. So as Christianity spread across Europe and the world and all of that, cultures collided and so when and All Saints Day and All Souls Day and they all kind of amalgamated. And for those who don't know, All Saints Day is the celebration of all the saints of the church. And mm-hmm. that's celebrated on November 1st, as I said before. And then the day prior was referred to as All Hallows Eve, which then was shortened to Halloween. So as Celts are converting to Christianity, Soen is becoming amalgamated with All Hallows Eve before All Saints Day. And it's just becoming this whole thing. Um, and according to the Library of Congress, quote, in order to avoid being terrorized by all the evil spirits walking the earth, the Celts donned disguises so they would not be mistaken for spirits and be left alone, end quote. So the library breaks down the three main theories around the origins of wearing costumes to go trick-or-treating. And the first theory suggests that during Samhain or All, all Hallow's Eve or whatever you want to call it, that people would leave out food to appease the spirits traveling the earth at night. 
And over time, people began to dress as these spirits in exchange for food and drink. We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. The next theory is that it stems from, quote, bell snickling. I hate that. That sounds like not good. It's it's right up there with Skeckler. But that's a German-American Christmas tradition where children would dress up in costumes and visit their neighbors to see if the adults could guess who they were. Okay. And in one version of this tradition, the kids would be rewarded with food or other treats if nobody could figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and then, of course, the the third is guising, um, which we already talked about. But, yeah, Um but as far as America goes, in America, uh, the beginnings of costumes and Samhain and Halloween and all of those festivities were largely limited because of religious groups that discouraged their celebration because they believed that these holidays spread the ideas of Satan. And, blah, 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 blah. and it wasn't actually until the mid-1850s when a huge wave of Irish immigrants came to escape the potato famine that Halloween started to become popular in America and with it, Halloween costumes. Mm-hmm. So according to fashion historian Nancy Deal, quote, people in rural America really embraced its pagan roots and the idea of it as a dark occasion centered around death. They wore scary, frightening getups, which were made at home with whatever was on hand, sheets, makeup, improvised masks. Anonymity was a big part of the costumes. The whole point of dressing up was to be completely in disguise, end quote. Mm-hmm. So from the 1870s to the 1890s, people mostly made their own costumes, which were largely like witches and ghosts and shit like that. And because there were no store-bought costumes that existed, people would dress up as these classic symbols of the Halloween holiday and make their costumes themselves. Mm -hmm. So Bannatyne told Insider, quote, the things that appealed to people were the things that they loved about Halloween. So you saw a lot of handmade witch costumes and ghost costumes, Mm -hmm. end quote. And the Americans who did celebrate Halloween at this time were also heavily influenced by the and inspired by Robert Burns's 1786 poem Halloween, which contained footnotes on how to throw a Halloween party as it was traditionally done in rural Scotland. I didn't know that a uh, poem had instructions on how to throw a killer party. Right? Isn't that the best? That's my kind of poem. Now that's something we got to bring back. Yeah. Poems with instructions on how to be chill. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah. Uh, unlike the modern celebration of the holiday, many Victorian Halloween parties held a lot of romantic implications, mm. and it was celebrated mostly amongst adults as kind of like a matchmaking holiday with, like, playing love games and matchmaking-related games and Which, encouraging guests to dress up in costumes. Yeah, we'll So talk, basically, they're living Bridgerton. Yeah, we'll talk about that later on in the month. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to be talking about the night before Halloween and kind of Ooh, the the history behind that. that. And uh, and yeah, matchmaking has a lot to do with it, which is weird. That's, I, I you know. I guess you got to match up before it gets cold in the wintertime and you got to snuggle up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess that's I'm, that. I'm about it. What, is, what do they call it now? Cuffing season. Ooh, I hate it. Um. <laughs> Another word I hate. <laughs> Uh, So in the late 1800s, it began to take a turn towards being a more family-oriented holiday. And there are records of Halloween parades in Scranton as long ago, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. as long ago as 1894, uh, Topeka, Kansas in 1895. And also in 1895, the Indianapolis Journal reported on the, quote, annual 
Halloween parade in Anderson, Indiana. And in every case, costumes were mentioned in the description of the events and that they were generally homemade takes on ghosts, witches, and assorted ghouls. Mm. So during Victorian times, Halloween evolved to become a quaint holiday with rituals that emphasized kids' participation and downplaying the festival's folk and religious roots so that by the early 20th century, Halloween had become a celebration for kids. Mm -hmm. And homemade masquerade costumes appeared as early as the 19th century. Women's magazines printed out instructions, printed out, not printed out. They just published instructions. Um, They had printers back then Mm -hmm. um, for making costumes at home. And later, these homemade costumes increasingly gave way to commercially produced costumes, which would begin around the time of the Industrial Revolution. And during the second half of the 19th century, advances in technology made commercially produced costumes cheaper, better made, and more varied. And the earliest costume themes, all of which continue to today, were ghosts, skeletons, devils, witches, like all of the things that you would like imagine yeah to be in addition to like yeah addition to the pop culture characters which i was we'll gonna get say to. in addition to your favorite euphoria character of course <laughs> uh but in the early 1900s halloween started to transform and new traditions like halloween parades began to take hold i know there's a huge halloween parade in like areas that i'm that i'm close to that it's it's like view like public viewing you have to go to this halloween parade and yes. uh, obviously new york city's halloween parade is legendary i've been before it is definitely something to do if you're in the area but um go. definitely go. these old halloween parades was the emphasis on children at the center and mm-hmm. by 1911 ontario canada newspapers were covering children going guising in neighborhoods ghosts witches devils and clowns continued to be popular Halloween costumes, many of which were ra- many of which were made of cray paper, and this is largely thanks huh. to the Denison F- Manufacturing Company in Massachusetts, which became uh, which began publishing an annual series of bogey books starting in 1909, and it demonstrated how to use cray paper to make Halloween costumes and decorations. And I think that is that's a pretty large undertaking because cray paper needs time to like set set yeah. and everything like that we all like, did that in class like yeah. it, when we were in school yeah that's like a lot to do but whatever so banatine told insider quote everybody looked the same those were aprons with cats or little witches printed on them or hats and paper masks they were meant to be worn once and thrown away like cray paper that's the first time halloween got a standard color theme yellow black orange purple with paper products end quote mm-hmm. and i did read an article that said that the colors of halloween actually were influenced by Samhain and and the old uh, traditions mm-hmm. that black and orange like black was um, for like the dark times of winter and orange was for the harvest and stuff like that. So the colors okay. do have like an older um, origin than that. But anyway, so Collegeville, which is located in Pennsylvania, began as a company that produced flags and later used the scraps to create costumes around 1910 and continued to make very early clown and jester costumes. And during the 1920s, people began making costumes called slipovers, which involved a straight slip of cray paper cut out at the neck and hanging straight down the front and back. The bogey books look... uh, more elaborate and, and embellished than just the sheet over the head. But most families were wore simpler costumes because it was easier and obviously less expensive. You're only going to mm-hmm. wear it that one night. Additionally, well, pa- it's the depression. 
Yeah, right. Additionally, Not just my depression, but like, you know, the great one. <laughs> the The paper masks were made by cutting out paper into the shape of a face and then painting them. Uh, that was another common costume that they would do. Um, in 1927, a new term for guising appeared in print for the first time in Alberta, Canada, and it was called Trick or Treat. Hey! That's where I've we first hear it. Uh, disposable paper costumes made way for for ready-to-wear boxed character costumes, which usually included a plastic mask and a rayon costume. These are those horrifying ones that you mm-hmm. see in the 1920s and 30s. The ones where you would, like, banish that child if you could. They were horrifying. My mom has photos yes. of her as a child wearing these. I <sighs> Terrifying. Lisa. Uh, kids were starting to dress up as soldiers, police officers, firefighters, but a new also kind... terrifying. Yeah, right. A new kind became even more popular, and that was dressing up as your favorite cartoon character, which was the first mm. col- Halloween costume to reference a pop culture character in any way many of these characters stem from walt disney's creations like mickey and minnie mouse in the 19- in 1932 disney partnered with mccall pattern company which is still alive today you can buy patterns if you're a sewist um yeah. so families could afford to buy pre-made costumes um they would be able to sew their own but oh. other character manufacturers like jay halpern company or halco played a role when they began licensing the image of popular characters like Popeye, Mickey Mouse, Olive Oil to make these costumes and sell. Beginning in 1931 with the premise of Frankenstein and Dracula on the silver screen, companies would also churn out years of horror hits that would inspire all manners of costumes. Mm-hmm. But according to Bannatyne, these costumes were considered a luxury in the 1930s and they only became more affordable after World War II. Makes sense. Yeah. In 1927, a vaudeville amphitheater costume company called Ben Cooper Incorporated was established by its namesake, Ben Cooper Company, in Brooklyn. Hi, Ben. Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Cooper created theatrical sets and costumes for the Cotton Club and Zegfield Follies and expanded into Halloween costumes in 1937. Cooper costumes were sold all over the country in department stores in Five and Dimes, and the company later joined with A.S. Fishbach a New York City-based costume company that held the license to Disney characters, such as, Mm. obviously, Donald Duck, Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, um, also the Big Bad Wolf, and packaged them under the name Spotlight. Cooper sold his company in 1980 to Ruby's, also in New York, which had become popular with the largest producers of Halloween and Purim costumes in the United States. But also, as much as we'd like to not talk about more harmful aspects of the tradition. The fact is that they happen to ignore uh, them as they also ignore the fact that real people were hurt and affected by the harmful stereotypes and messages that they conveyed. Unfortunately, there were many racist and colonial beliefs that led to costumes like blackface, redface, brownface, and yellowface being popular uh, well into the 1930s. These costumes were and still are about establishing white supremacy by demeaning, insulting, and encouraging harm against people of color. For example, in the early 20th century, minstrel shows like Amos and Andy were incredibly popular and blackface was used as a popular Halloween costume based off of the specific characters depicted, as well as the general indication from these shows that dressing in blackface was funny or cool or at all okay. Hmm. As another example, Redface dates back to the Boston Tea Party in 1773 when protesters dressed up as members of the uh, Mohawk Mohawk. tribe, um, but continued to be popular for centuries 
after because of white supremacy and colonialism and blah, 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 blah. Americans were also fascinated by the so-called Far East. So many costumes that were uh, what people would be described as exotic, uh, such as Egyptian princesses, were also popular choices beginning in the late 1800s and continuing well on past where they should have been. Um, Mm -hmm. In the 1930s, racism was prevalent and such offensive costumes like Aunt Jemima and Chinese princess were not viewed as problematic amongst the white community. Just so you know, those are today. So don't. Maybe don't. Um, But during the 1940s, due to wartime and subsequent wartime rations, Halloween was not at its peak. Many children had Halloween costumes made from old clothes and trick-or-treating was limited because of sugar rationing. However... This is also when sexy costumes became popular for women, thanks to inspiration from pinup photos. Not only did many of the big name Hollywood actresses model in pinups to promote their movies, but the U.S. government also used pinups as wartime propaganda to promote the idea that these, quote, beautiful all-American women are girls worth fighting for, end quote. Yeah. Cue the song from Mulan, Girls Worth Fighting For. <laughs> Um, but with the rise of the middle class in the 1950s and 60s, families had a larger income, which allowed them to afford luxuries like television sets, which in turn led people to want to dress up as their favorite TV characters like Superman, Little Orphan Annie, and particularly as Davy Crockett, cowboys, and other Western themed characters, including, unfortunately, more blackface, redface, brownface, and yellowface, because there were so many Western shows at the time. Television shows also more frequently featured Halloween episodes with elaborate parties and costumes, thereby increasing the popularity of dressing up for adults once again. Mm. The 1950s also led to some new innovations in costuming like vacuum-formed latex masks, which is how we ended up with those celebrity cartoon and politician masks that we see all the time, and mm-hmm. like Breakfast at Tiffany's, Point Break, so on. Uh, Benetine said that the political masks in particular were something that became... Uh, and remain popular, saying, quote, political scandals and taglines make for great costumes. To this day, that Nixon mask is one of the most popular masks, end quote. Also, fun fact, the sales of presidential masks for Halloween have successfully predicted nearly every U.S. election, with the exception of the 2016, uh, because, as Bannatine said, quote, Trump masks were selling wildly, but no one could decide whether that was because it was pro or con, end quote. Mm, Which, yeah, yeah, I agree with. That's about right. I know it's been said many, many times, but the mask from Halloween, the movie Halloween, is actually a William Shatner mask. Yes, it is. That was painted. Uh, and yep. I think flipped around and then painted. But yeah, I mean, that's that's just showing the popularity of these character yeah. masks. Yeah. But figures in popular culture, such as the Beatles and John and Jacqueline Kennedy, joined TV and film personalities such as Laurel and Hardy, and dolls and action figures such as Barbie, G.I. Joe, in being modeled in latex. Many of the masks for the early costumes were produced by U.S. Mask Company in Woodhaven, New York. Before they began manufacturing uh, vacuum-formed latex masks, the early gauze masks uh, made of backroom, I don't even know what that is, were sprayed with starch and steamed over a mold. Can you imagine what that would smell like once you started to sweat in it? I was going to say, it also probably doesn't feel great. No, it probably feels like shit. But themes included, obviously, the witches, clowns, and also other animals. Mm. Um, Other major costume companies in America included Halco, which we've talked about in Pennsylvania, Bland Carnus Company on Long Island, 
in New York and E. Simmons and Sons in New Orleans, Louisiana. The 1960s was also a time of the second wave of feminism. So we start to see more sexualized costumes to celebrate women's control over their bodies and sexual liberations. In 1966, Julie Newmar made her debut Mm -hmm. as the Catwoman in the Batman TV series, which inspired many other women to don Halloween cat suits and accompany half-face cat masks. By the 1970s, dressing up for school fell out of favor as public spaces endeavored to be more sensitive to students who didn't celebrate the holiday for religious reasons, but there were community and neighborhood events that filled the gap. However, it wasn't until this era that risque costumes really took off. Though dressing up as the opposite sex has been done for centuries for art and cultural festivities, many closeted members of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, Halloween was the one night a year that people could publicly express their true identity in its safe environment because unfortunately it was seen as a joke yeah for example in san francisco there was actually laws enacting enacted that made it illegal to pose as members of the opposite sex which is why on halloween people could wear over-the-top drag costumes because it was obvious that they weren't wearing a costume um then you could be arrested um in her 1984 novel another uh, mother tongue poet, author, and scholar Judy Grant called Halloween, quote, the greatest gay holiday, end quote. And in the 1995 book, Cassell's Queer Companion, author William Stewart called Halloween, quote, the gay festival par excellence. Halloween has always been a time of year when the gay communities experienced greater freedoms, even in the 1940s and 50s, when police harassment of gay bars was at its height. Halloween was the one fairy tale evening when the drag queens would come out with impunity. End quote. In Minneapolis, the LGBTQIA plus community celebrated Halloween with an annual drag ball held in one of the city's grand hotels. And the one time that they could open the closet door just a little bit. And parades also helped to encourage um, with the ostentatious and avant-garde costumes, with a prime example being the New York Greenwich Village Halloween Parade that started in 1974 by mask maker and puppeteer Ralph Lee. And it wasn't long before drag masks and headpieces and other spectacular costumes really took the spotlight in the parade. And this festive atmosphere combined with the changing ideals of modesty and fashion allowed more people to experiment with sexy costuming soon uh bars and adult clubs and entertainment venues started hosting halloween events and retails retailers saw the opportunity to capitalize on ready-made sexual outfits thus once again making halloween uh more than a holiday for children as it had been in the past couple decades also, during the 1970s and 80s, there was a new craze for creepy and grotesque masks and costumes. The successful release of the 1978 slasher movie Halloween led to the increase in Halloween-associated horror movies and sparked a whole genre of slasher films and slasher costumes, obviously. Bannatine told Insider, quote, You can just look at the movies and look at the costumes, and they overlap a lot. It was always spooky, and it was always otherworldly and weird, but it wasn't bloody and violent until John Carpenter's Halloween cracked it open. End quote. This inevitably led to October's 
horror thons and also a public interest in more graphic tones of Halloween stemming from both an interest in the macabre and the use of horror movies for escapism and tons of fear mongering with the poison candy myths that began in the 60s and the real life horrors of the Vietnam War in the mid 50s and through the mid 70s and the satanic panic of the 80s again we talked about the uh, poison candy myth I believe it was last October or the October previous. It was in October. Yeah, it was one of those. But as a result of the grotesque costumes, both depicting fictional characters and events that were once mimicked in the real world, um, it became more prevalent. For example, some people dressed up as Tylenol bottles at the height of the aftermath of the Tylenol, uh, Chicago Tylenol murders in 1982. I believe that's episode two of this podcast. I believe it is. Yeah. I believe it is episode two. We, Uh, We... Yeah, yeah, not cool. Um, And then in 1994, among the most popular publicized costumes were the highly insensitive bloody OJ and Nicole Brown Simpson costumes. In fact, Denise Brown, Nicole Simpson's sister, issued a public appeal to boycott the products that exploited the crime, but came too late. Furthermore, Mm. it was also another example of blackface, once again, rearing its ugly head during Halloween festivities as non-black people bought costumes that resembled oj yikes yeah not cute no during the 80s and 90s the halloween costume industry saw a huge increase in commercialization as the holiday became a national and then global phenomenon sears was one of the first department stores to host a halloween section within their store called the halloween shop at sears but perhaps the most popular resource for halloween costumes is spirit halloween Mm -hmm. which was founded in 1983 by joseph marver and it was the first pop-up opened at the castro valley mall in 1984 and soon Other temporary pop-up Halloween stores launched in the 90s and 2000s, such as Halloween Express. By the 2000s, Halloween has become the second largest decorating retail holiday after Christmas. But in terms of themes, Halloween costumes trends haven't really changed that much. We still want to wear scary, sexy, or cute Halloween costumes, but we definitely still wear costumes based on pop culture. In the past few decades, Halloween costumes have continued to rise in popularity uh, staggeringly profitable in the United States. The National Retail Federation has been tracking Halloween spending for years and their findings have been anything but scary for the companies that support the holiday. In 2005, the group found that more than 50% of consumers were going to buy a, a costume with the total holiday spending exceeding $3 billion. By the next year, that number had jumped to just under $5 billion. The NRF found it found that in 2017 spending was more than nine billion, with 3.4 billion of that accounting for costumes alone. And while the holiday took a hit from COVID, obviously in 2020, Americans were projected to spend around 10.14 billion last year. But aside from shelling out tons of money on costumes, one thing the 2000s did was usher in an era of gratuitously sexual versions of about any character food item career Bannatine told insider quote in the 80s and 90s people would ask me why is halloween so violent nowadays they ask me why is halloween so sexy by the mid to 2010s concern concerns about cultural appropriation in halloween costumes began to go mainstream as well with Bannatine noting quote halloween has always gone off the rails a little bit but people are much more aware of that now end quote and i think that's like 
all the history we have, I think the only other thing to talk about is um, what Halloween costumes did you wear as a child? Um, I did a lot of movie-related costumes. Like, we were talking about pop culture. Um, I know that I was Audrey Hepburn many, many years, many times. Mm-hmm. I was and still am obsessed with her. I was... Zsa, Zsa Gabor because my mom thought Marilyn Monroe was too slutty even though I looked exactly like Marilyn Monroe down to the pink dress. Mm-hmm. Um, I was Vivian Lee as Scarlett O'Hara. Um, Samantha Stevens from Bewitched from I Dream of Jeannie. I watched a lot of TV land and a lot of old movies as a kid. So I was that kid. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah. Uh, I have a photo of me and my cousin in preschool he was a cute little Dalmatian from 101 Dalmatians, and I insisted on being a skeleton. Uh, <laughs> my mom basically took sweatpants and a sweatshirt and did in like glittery glow in the dark fabric paint, like the bones of a skull, and then my face was painted. It's a hilarious photo because it looks like the costume should be reversed. Um, but I remember for like three years in elementary school, I was the tooth fairy. Oh, um, another big one. fan, apparently. Uh, yes. The rock version or? No, just just generic <laughs> tooth fairy. My mom made the costume. It was great. Uh, that was my next question is, did you buy and make your costumes throughout your childhood? Mostly. When I was very little, it was my mother bought the costumes online or not online, but like in stores. But then as I got older, I would go to like Goodwill and thrift them yeah when you were making your own like essentially making my own i mean i would like buy accessories and put them all together and like dresses and things like that but that was starting in maybe like the fifth grade yeah i think mine was definitely when i was a kid i would bring an idea to my mom and she would be like all right i guess i'll figure it out and she would make my costume like for the sixth grade i was a sandwich I was as you should be. Yeah, yeah. I was a sandwich. Um, it was great. Um, but um, another question: What are you going to be this year? That is still up for debate. I have multiple things that I was like, "This is what I want to do. This is what we should do." Blah blah blah. Michael is dragging their feet, mm-hmm. so they need to. If if you're listening to this, sweetie, you need to make up your fucking mind because we are. At crunch time, yeah. I have multiple costumes saved, ready to go, ready to roll out. But I think I'm going to be very basic this year. I think I'm just going to be Eddie Munson because I have most of yeah, the, that's the, cute. the bits. Uh, but my last question before we uh, sign off, uh, if we were a couple, and we are, what yeah, would, I was going to say, what would our couple's costume be? I mean, going with Eddie Munson, we could be Eddie and Steve. <laughs> yes, you could be the shirtless From Stranger one. Things. <laughs> you'll be the, uh, no, you'll no, be no, the no, topless no. one in the. In I the will vest. very much accept your jacket, unlike Steve. Yeah. Um. No, I'll just wear a sweater. Um. But yeah, <laughs> um, that could be one. Uh, um, I, we could be two thirds of the Sanderson sisters. We could be two thirds of the Sanderson sisters. I choose Mary. Okay. You're obviously um, Sarah Jessica Parker. I was gonna. I was waiting to see like who you said because I was like, I truly, I have no idea. We gotta find um, our Bette Midler. I'm I'm a Winnie on a good day, but I'm spiritually also, I can also I'm a Winnie. Very much be a Sarah. Physically, emotionally, just like vibe wise, I'm Mary. 
I am not powerful enough, I think, to be Winnie. Yeah. Um I gotta sniff around like like a like a greyhound. That's yes. a bloodhound. That's what she that's what she modeled yes. the character off of. I smell children. I smell children. <laughs> um but yeah, that's our history of Halloween costumes. Again, it's Spooktober. Every once in a while an episode's gonna be short. But we hope you got some info on this episode and definitely want to see and hear about your favorite Halloween costumes, um, past, present, and future. Are you planning something fun? Especially, I love family costumes. If you got something with your kids, I need to know what you did as a family because that's adorable as shit. Also pets. and pe- Oh, God, pets, of course. I just bought um, uh, friends' um, uh, guinea pig costumes. I didn't even know they made oh, them. Cute. A taco and a jack-o'-lantern. They're incredible. Oh my god. Oh go, my on, god. go on Petco. They have them. Uh, Bean was a beanie baby last year. I believe this year he should be. he's going to be um, uh, a um, jelly bean, if I can make it work. Oh, that's cute. Yes. So um, show me your pet costumes. Show me your children's costumes and family and couple costumes and single yes. costumes. Fuck it. Whatever. Um but you can send those to crime culture podcast, uh, no, crime culture pod at gmail.com. That's it. You can go like, to our website, right. crime culture podcast.tumblr.com, and you can find the links to uh, all of our social media. DM us there. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're also on Patreon, where you can join for as little as a dollar, as much as whatever you want. And uh, we love you, and we will see you on Thursday. See you on Thursday. Bye. Bye.